This sports social podcast is brought to you by BetVictor, where live streams, smart stats, and in-play betting can help you make your best bet yet. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, everyone. What's up? Chelsea fans, I hope you're all feeling good. This is Xavier Mbuyamba, and you're listening to the Blue Day Podcast. Enjoy. I was just going to ask, Joe, in your case, was you more surprised, bearing in mind that in 87 you got the captain's armband and there was a lot of games whereby you were the captain? When you're sort of speaking about that particular day when you had that meeting with Ken Bates, was you more shocked than anything of how somebody in a position of power like that would treat one of the players who was quite an influential member of the squad. You know, you was there for quite some time as well as you took the captain's armband. You was part of a decent side for Chelsea in the eighties. Did that come into your thinking about, you know, why is this guy treated me like this, whereby you've got people, as you say, Pat, Kerry, even players like, for example, Mickey Hazard or Clive Wilson, even Tony DeRigo to, to an extent in that sort of period. Was you caught us surprised? Tony DeRigo, again, some of the left-backs, Joey Jones, Tony DeRigo, you know, to play with these guys. I mean, Joey was, won the, the European Cup with Liverpool and, you know, Mickey Thomas, and then you get DeRigo coming in, Mickey Hazard. Mickey Hazard, arguably the most skillful midfield player that we had, but probably one of the most unliked midfielders. Don't know why. I got on so well with Mickey Hazard, but he upset so many people for reasons I, I still cannot understand. Um, what a talent. I mean, they get the, he was a talent, but he might not have been... You know, people say he, he didn't try, you know, he, looked, he was lazy or whatever, you know. But Mickey Hazard was a fit, fit guy. He just had that, he looked quite kind of chunky, you know, um, and he had a running action that wasn't, you know, it wasn't athletic looking, but left foot, right foot, Mickey Hazard was the best at the club by a country mile, passing range. The guy was phenomenal, vision, you know, and again, he just didn't fit in. But as an individual, he was phenomenal. Tony DeRigo, again, played for England, you know, what can you say? The Regal was, you know, outstanding. Um, so, but we had all these guys, Keith, and that's what kind of brought things down a little bit because you were bringing in all these, you know, I'm not saying, uh, it, it just didn't gel as quickly as the six or seven that came in for that initial, you know, 83, 82-83 season. It just didn't gel because there was too many big timers, if you like, you know, Mickey had come from Tottenham, Tony had come from Aston Villa, so you're bringing in these guys and maybe they were, maybe when I look back, maybe I'm thinking well, maybe we weren't good enough for them, you know, maybe we were the problem, the ones that were left behind almost, like Colin Pates, myself, you know, I mean, he brought in Steve Wicks, you know, and was trying to play Colin Pates at left back and you know, so there was all these kind of things going on and then Colin left to go to Charlton and stuff. And you kind of mentioned something that, you know, 
um, about me being the captain. I was captain of the team a lot. When Colin was out injured or suspended, I would be the captain. But listen, I wasn't the, I've said this to Colin a few times. I wasn't really interested in being the captain because I felt I was the captain in the games because I was the one. Colin was the quiet captain, if you like. You know, he was the captain. He did the, I was the one who did a lot of the shouting and balling. I was the one, you know, who did a lot of the organizing, you know. So, you know, I felt when I wore the captain's armband, it was, I, I loved it because every time I wore the captain's armband, I played even better. That's what I felt. I felt in my heart I played better when I wore the captain's armband. Anyway, when Colin and John Hollins fell out, and again, this is all kind of, maybe it's been out there, I don't know, but when when Colin fell out with John Hollins because he was getting played at left back, Steve Wicks was playing beside me, we were having a nightmare because he's six foot three, I'm six foot three, we're both going for the same balls, Colin's like, you know, and then Colin's not playing, he's not happy playing left back, because, you know, so basically the whole thing, excuse my language, got fucked because of, you know, trying to trying to put too many people into positions they didn't really want to play. You know, look, I, I could only play one position. That was it. Steve Wicks could only play one position mm. and we were too similar. That's what we felt. You know, we both knew it. And then when he got dropped and Colin came back in and, you know, it was, it was hard to kind of get things going again. Uh, and then Colin goes to Charlton. So he leaves to go to Charlton. And again, I'm not saying it was for the money. I think it was his, the money had a, a lot to do with it. So he goes to Charlton for almost double the money he's getting paid at Chelsea. You know, so why would you not leave if somebody's going to do, double your wages and you're not happy? You know, things are not going the way they were. You leave. So he left for five hundred thousand. That kind of with me and Steve Wicks and you know, we were kind of there. It wasn't really going that well. Um, but Man United had come in for me. Tottenham. I spoke to Terry Venables. I spoke to Alec Ferguson. I spoke to Kenny Dalglish at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. All wanted to sign. All asked, would I be interested? Now, so... I wasn't doing that badly when those three clubs wanted to sign me. Mm. So Celtic actually came back in again as well. So there was that unrest at Chelsea. People knew they could come and pick players and get them for a, a decent price. So Celtic had actually made an offer of 500000 because I know they did because I spoke to David Hay, who was a Celtic manager then. David Hay, who played for Chelsea. David was a good friend, actually. And he said, I want you to come back here. You know, and to be honest, because things were so messed up, I was like, do you know what? It's time to go back. You know, it's a good move. I could still play for Scotland. I'll play for Celtic. I'm getting double the money. What's what's not to go back for, you know what I mean? So he said, I'm going to offer 500000 Do you think that'll be enough? I was like, I said, well, Colin Pates has left for Charlton for 500000 I said, David, I don't know. I said, but I'm happy with the terms that you've offered me. Mm. I said, I'm delighted with those terms and um, hopefully it can be done. So I wasn't, it wasn't that I'd lost, it's not the club that I didn't love, you know, it was just the situation key and the supporters can take it any way they want, but I hadn't lost the love for the club. It was just the way things were being, being run on a day-to-day basis. And David Hay phoned John Hollins and then he phoned me back and he said, he said he's not letting you go. You know, he's definitely not going to let you go. And I was like, right, okay. So he said, we're going to put in a higher bid, going to put in 600,000. So he said they wanted 750,000 or something. I don't know. Anyway, he said, so the next day, phoned me back again. He said they refused the second bid. He said, so they're going to make a, a third and final offer. Um, has John Holland said anything to you? And I was like, not said a word, not a word. So anyway, David, he said, why don't you go and 
say you've heard there's been a, an offer made, would you, you know, have you heard anything? So I did. I, I knocked the door, went back to Stanford Bridge actually, knocked, knocked Holly's door and said, listen, I've had a reporter saying Celtic have made a couple of bids for me, you know. No, we've not had any bids. What do you say, you know? I said, well, I've had it in good authority. Uh, like, I've spoke to the Celtic manager, you know. You know, I said, so there's definitely been no bids. He said, I said, and I also heard Man United, Liverpool have made it an interest as well. He said, and this is the thing, he said, Joe, as long as I'm here, you're never leaving this club. And that's what he said. I was like, right. I said, I mean, Pacey's going to, going to Charlton, you know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. He said, Pacey hadn't left then. Sorry, Keith, my, my timelines are a wee bit kind of mixed up. <laughs> so Pacey right. hadn't quite, Pacey hadn't left then. Charlton were interested, but I don't think he'd actually signed. So right. he said, but he hadn't been playing. He was like kind of on the bench and, you know, injured. And anyway, um, he said, I'm going to make you captain. He said, because Pace is going to Charlton. We're selling Colin Pace to Charlton. Right, okay. Uh, he said, how do you feel about that? I said, look, it's an honour to be the captain of the club. I said, but I said, I think it's time for me to leave as well. You know, you've got other, you've got, you're bringing in players and, you know, it's not working, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, he said, I think if you're captain, I think you can make it work. And, you know, it was one of them kind of conversations. And it wasn't that the fact that being made captain changed my mind and anything. It was like, but if Colin Pates is leaving and I'm staying, the last thing I want to be is not the captain, you know, because who's going to be the captain? You know, Steve Wicks, you know, Steve Clark, who knows, you know what I mean? Like, so he said, I'm definitely, you're not going while I'm here. He said, so you can, you know, he said, I'm definitely not selling you. He said, I'm, you, you won't leave this club while I'm here. And that was like, well, okay, so what do I do? I'm, I'm not going to play then, you know what I mean? You know, so you've got to play as much as I want to, to leave. You know, right, you're going to be captain, you know, he said, we'll look at your contract. He said, we'll put you on the same money as Steve Wicks because he's on more money than you. So, again, all kind of, so the money side, and I'm not saying money was the key element, but, you know, my, my, kind of, my rationale behind it was, right, he's never letting me go. I'm here, you know. I may as well take the captaincy, and I may as well take the take the extra, take the money, because if I'm not going anywhere, you know, at least I'm I'm better off. So that was my kind of rationale behind it. Maybe I should have stuck to my guns, you know. And but anyway, it all kind of got out that I was Celtic, you know, Celtic were in for me, and and of course the Chelsea fans are kind of more more aligned to Rangers fans mm -hmm. always have been and I've always known that because I used to get stick regularly you know the odd chant here and there you know what I mean about me and you know my religion and I'm I'm an atheist Keith so there you go I'm an atheist so I'm, I'm non-religious but I used to find it quite funny when the Chelsea fans would sing about you know me and Pat Nevin being Catholics or something you know or you know and, and it was kind of weird because you were looking and thinking, oh, that's the Chelsea fans getting, getting me stick, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's a few wee fans in there, you know, yeah, yeah, big Catholic, you know, whatever it was, you know, in, in English language, you know. So I used to just laugh and think, oh, that's quite funny, you know. But then we would go to Liverpool or something and there was a large section of Chelsea fans and I was like, is that my, are they singing my name? But they were singing my name in a derogatory Fashion, you know, wasn't it? I'm not saying all of them. There was just a, you know, but I could hear it, and I was like, you know, some something to do with religion anyway, and you know, and I and I knew it was aimed at me, and I was like, right, okay, you know. So 
but again, it was all down to the fact that the Celtic interest was was out there, and that you know, Ken Bates had made a statement that you know Celtic had got an offer in, whatever it was, and you know, and it all kind of got out of hand. You know that I wanted to leave because I was homesick. You know, I was like homesick. You know, I was like I, I couldn't even. I, I, again, some of the stuff that came out was just incredible. You know. Uh, I wanted to leave because things were going bad, and you know, I thought I thought it was time to leave. It would maybe even help, you know, John Holland because if they changed everything, it would maybe help him, you know. But, um, but anyway, so took the captaincy, worst decision probably I ever made, because there was so much pressure on you, you know, again, because you're playing with players that. I'm not saying that you're, they're not your best buddies anymore, you know what I mean? They're just guys that have come in and they're playing for themselves. And, you know, there was no, the team spirit had gone effectively, mm. you know, so you were out there fighting. I felt like sometimes you're out there fighting a losing battle. You know, I felt like sometimes, you know, they never had your back, whereas always you knew your back was covered in the early days, you know. So it was just that uncertainty. But I was the captain. I was the one getting the, the, the stick from the crowd, you know. Um, Colin, Colin Pates knows that I only took the captains because he was leaving. That was a fact, you know. He was out the door, you know, and I was being left, you know, and I felt, right, I've got to pick up the rifle here. I've got to pick up the gun here, you know what I mean? Somebody else is going to pick it up, you know. Hmm. And, and, and I'm not saying being the captain is anything. It was just an honour to be the captain, you know what I mean? But it was one of those things. Um, and then it all just kind of went after that. Bobby Campbell came in, John yes. Holmes led, Bobby, Bobby Campbell. So, you know, my, my timelines might be, you might need to kind of glue well, all this together. Ask, um, Bobby Campbell took over at the end of the 88 season. It was around about sort of that period where Chelsea went down back to the second division. Because there was a period where I think Chelsea only won one game in four or five, even I think it was even six months. There was a real downturn from that I time. We top, I think we were top of the league at Christmas, and then we, we went on a run of twenty-two games without a win. How diff? Yes. How different was Bobby Campbell's philosophy to what you was used to under likes of John Neal and John Hollins? Bobby Campbell was a lovely man. Mm. You know. He was a, a genuinely nice guy. I, I like Bobby Campbell, and he liked me. You know, now that was the kind of that was the time my, my my son had just died. I think I'd said this before. You know, a lot of people didn't know, but my son had just died. I'd been out for about four or five weeks because of that. Um, again, Peter Nicholas had signed, Graham Roberts had signed, so he'd made a lot of signings. You know to get his back up, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, Graham Roberts was a great signing, you know, Robbo was, Robbo was a top player, but, um, but anyway, I, I kind of missed the first six weeks of the season, really, because my son had died, and mm. there was other things I had to sort out, uh, and the crowd and all that, so getting stick from the crowd, you know, me, Telling the crowd to fuck off, you know what I mean? You know, because they're giving you a bit of stick, you know. So the pressure kind of got to me. Mm. Bobby Campbell said, Look, I'm going to give the captaincy to Graham Roberts. I think that'd be, you know, fine. Look, I'm fine. I just want to leave. And I said, Really, I just want to leave. You know, I think it's time for me to leave. I need a fresh start somewhere, you know. So that was my kind of, you know, rationale for leaving was, you know, Okay, we get relegated. You know, I'll carry part of the blame because I'm a player. I played a lot of games. You know, we didn't win enough games, but it wasn't just me. We had with people who are playing in the international team. You know, so uh, as much as I had one of my poorest seasons, a lot of these guys had poor poor seasons as well. You know, but I'll look back and yeah, that was my poorest season. But I think. I can put my hand on heart and say out of the six full seasons I had, I had one really poor season and that was the season. And that was all those troubles within that season, Keith. You know, John Hollands, 
you know, the captain say, all that kind of people being interested in what to buy you, bigger clubs want to buy you, you know, um, and yeah, things should have moved. You know, the big mistake was actually Stain in the end. When you look on it and look back on it, Stain was a big mistake. But that being said, that year when I did come back, you know, and again, Ken Bates didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to play for Ken Bates. I'll, I'll be honest, you know, um, he he didn't handle, I mean, it was hard enough for me and my family to handle the death of a baby. But Ken Bates to phone and, and say, when are you coming back? You know, I was like, I, said, I don't know. I said, I don't feel like I, I want to come back just yet. You know, I feel... Bear in mind, there's no help in those days. It was, you know, mm. mental awareness, mental health. Those things didn't even, those things don't even matter, you know. Mm. Um, but when he phoned on the house phone, not a mobile, which is again we phone, you know, uh, you need to come back. You know, we're paying your wages. You need to come back. You know, I know it's, you know, and this is the thing that I still, I still hear when he's called me that night. He said. I'm sorry you're having a tough time on the pitch and off the pitch. <laughs> I was like, wow. What a thing to say, you know what I mean? To even put that in the same sentence, you know. So I've just lost my son, and he's saying the fact that you're getting stick off of some fans at Chelsea, you know, calling you this, calling you whatever. And, and because I reacted to it, you know, I'm now, you know, I've done something wrong, you know, and I thought, right, that's it. So I need to get back and I need to get away from here. That was, again, my intention. I need to get back, get playing and get out of here because, you know, this is no good for them. It's no good for me. Anyway, long story short, came back and arguably had the best season I had since my first or second season. Came back. Not one player, apart from Kerry, Mickey Hazard, Kevin McAllister, who's a fantastic player, I still speak to Kevin, Eddie and his rookie, you know. But that's when I knew it was time to go because only those three or four players actually had the decency to pick the phone up or to come up to you and say, sorry to hear what happened. Now, I know now, Keith, it's a tough thing to go and if somebody's lost someone, it's tough to go and what do you say? How do you how do you approach them? You know, when they're when you're not their friend. You know what I mean? And I and I look back and think, yeah, I think that might have been tough, but you know, Kerry and Eddie and you know they they were all kind of there, you know, but everyone else never said a word and, and that again was quite hurtful. The fact that these are the guys you come to work with every day, nobody really cares. And that's what I felt. They don't care about me. You know, this is about this is about being selfless. This is about there's no team spirit here. The team spirit had completely gone at that point. But in that year, Graham Roberts, Peter Nicholas, the team actually kind of did okay. And as I say, I kind of put myself back out there. I couldn't care what the crowd sang, shouted, whatever. But what I will say, the crowd were brilliant because that year, I had never heard the crowd, I've never heard the Chelsea fans sing my name so many times after a game because Keith, I, I was doing things in that year that I should have done in the early years. Yeah. I was... I felt I was the player that I, that I was because what making a mistake, that's who cares, you know, and that's what used to when I was playing early on, I wanted to win the game so much. I would just hoof the ball right over the ground. I would just I would make sure they weren't going to score, which is my job. But I knew I had a lot more ability than I was shown, but you were scared to lose a game. Because you're playing for £250 bonus. You're, you know, you're, you're playing for stuff. You want to win the game as well. 
Whereas in that year, I was doing, I, I, I was, I had more touches of the ball that year than any other year in my whole time at Chelsea. And I actually enjoyed playing because there was no pressure on me. The pressure was, pressure, this is no pressure playing football. And that's what I felt. There's no pressure playing football. I enjoyed every single minute I was out there. The fans were singing your name. Everything was good. But for some reason, because of Ken Bates, I still did not want to play for him. Mm. I did not, crazily, he was the guy, look, I, I, don't, I don't want to give you my service anymore. You know, I'm doing this to get a move somewhere else. I, I'm doing this to get away. But Was as it much because as... of that phone call that partly engineered your thoughts about potentially leaving the club? Was it the fact that Bates did what he did or the lack of what he did to help you and your family at that time? Was Did that sort of play a part in your thinking to... Because it, it was eventually the summer of 89... Chelsea went back up to the first division, but you left. You joined yeah. Charlton. Yeah. Was that along with other reasons? Because you've mentioned about the squad morale, how you saw the squad morale was a lot different to what it was when you first came to the club. Was that along with Bates or other reasons for you leaving Chelsea? Yeah, I think that that was, I think it was all just the culmination of all of it, Keith. But that year was a that was a great year to get promotion that year. But Bobby Campbell, as I say, I like Bobby, but for some reason I kept saying, "Look, I, 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 I want to move," you know. And I gave him a couple of transfer requests. It's like I want to move, you know. I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I can get a move somewhere else, you know. I mean, blah blah blah, and you know. And he said, "No," and I was playing well, you know. I'm, I'm, I knew I was playing well because I felt. I felt good in myself. I felt composed. Things that Joe McLaughlin was never in the early years composed, comfortable. I couldn't give a shit if I made a mistake. And that was good. You know, but I never I never made that many. And we won the league comfortably. You know, say I won a few supporters play of the years and stuff, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I had a really good year. But at the back of my mind was... They don't care about me, and I, I don't mean the fans. I mean, Ken, Ken Bates, as much as I like Ken at the start, he, he's not interested in me as an individual, you know. And that was that was my kind of time, time to move, and it's it been kind of rumbling on, and I've had a good season. Tottenham are supposed to be interested again. You know, a few other teams are interested, and then Charlton were interested Colin Pates had already gone to Charlton. So the guy that I'd formed my best partnerships with had gone to Charlton, you know. So would it be good to go back and try and, and reform that partnership? That's what Lenny Lawrence was thinking. Hmm. That's why he offered 650000 which was, I think, the second or third biggest transfer for a defender in that year. You know, so he obviously thought enough of me that he wanted to buy me. Mm. You know, and I'm not saying Champ was my top pick, but I kind of jumped ship a bit early. But again, I jumped ship thinking, well, I'll be playing beside Colin Pates. And again, it wasn't my primary reason, Keith, but I got double the money from Charlton that I was getting at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. And I mean double, totally double. So as as much as Chelsea were the bigger club, Chart were paying double the money. You know, so I've gone from £750 a week to £1,500 a week. Hmm. I'm 28, come up 29, four-year contract at Charlton. You know, what, what, what am I gaining by staying at Chelsea? That was my, what am I gaining? So how, how well, many people would turn that down? How many people would turn that down just to stay at Chelsea for the same money, you know, and you're coming to the end, that what's going to happen? And, you know, I also was thinking, I can walk away from here 
Chelsea paid a hundred grand in 1982-83 for me. They're going to get six hundred and fifty thousand, which is more than they've paid in wages for me for the last six years. You know, so they're they're, they're actually making money from this transfer. You know, so I felt I could walk away with my head held high. They've made money. You know, they're going to take it. You know, Bobby Campbell said they've had an offer six hundred fifty thousand. You know, the club have accepted it. Don't want you to go, but you know. I was like, I said, look, I'm going, Bobby. I said, it's time to go. You know what I mean? Even though we were going back up, you know, but Charlton were already up there, if that makes sense. So Charlton were already in League One. So um, obviously I'm going to play against them, but um, but I just decided, time to go, something fresh. You know, I've enjoyed my time. That was, again, a great season. And I thought going out in a high would be good, you know, rather than what happens next year. You know, you could go back down again. I'm not saying you could go back down, you know. But, again, going to Charlton with, with Colin Pates was the kind of professional side of it. The money was here or there, but I knew it was going to be more because the rumour that was going around, yeah, Pates is getting double the money he was getting here. So there was there was word going around that Charlton pay really good money. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, Lenny Lawrence couldn't meet a nicer guy. Could not meet a nice and I loved my time at Charlton. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I, I'm not sure if you knew that when I went there and me and Colin started off in the first three or four games, um George Graham was looking for a centre back and he wanted somebody to O'Leary and Adams were, I think, still the centre-backs. Um, but he wanted somebody to cover for them. So he, he offered Charlton 500000 They sold him. And I was... And, and, and again, so I was like, why have you sold the guy? You brought me in to play beside him, you know, and you sold... You sold the guy, you know what I mean? But he said, well, Joe, he said, when Arsenal come and give you more money, you know, Colin wanted to go. He said, so Colin, of course he wanted, Arsenal, George Graham, I I know George Graham really well, you know, but I wasn't his type of centre-back because he had O'Leary and he had Adams and, you know, Colin Pates can, you know, versatile footballer, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he he said, Pates, he wants to go. He said, I'm not going to stand in his way. He said, he wants to go. So I kind of took that, well, that's great. He wants to go to Arsenal, play for Arsenal. He's not going to be first choice. He never was first choice. But I just kind of wondered if he decided to go to Arsenal because I joined Charlton and maybe he wasn't happy with him and I being back together again. You know, but he was a, he was a captain of Charlton. Mm. I think he was a captain, actually. Might have been, called, might have been uh, Walsh, but anyway... Couple of months in, Pacey goes to Charlton. Mm. Now I'm at Charlton. I'm I'm the guy that just paid six hundred fifty thousand for. So now the pressure the pressure's on. Mm-hmm. So they signed Tommy Caton. So they signed. I don't know if you know Tommy Caton, um, ex-Man City, England. Mm. I know Tommy. Tom and I played against each other in the under twenty ones Scotland England game a um, couple of times. So Tommy's six foot four, sadly dead again, which is tragic. Um, so they signed Tommy Caton from Man City. I think Man City won the FA Cup a few years, but previous to that, blah blah blah. So same big Tommy. Tommy's six foot four, left footed centre back. So now I'm back to the almost like Steve Wicks. So it's almost the two big centre backs again. You know that you know. I was like, whoa. You know, Pates and I are good, but you know now I've got to, now I'm playing beside Tommy Caton, and again I, I got on really well with Tommy. Um, had a few few issues and stuff, but lovely guy. But we were just two big centre backs that wanted to attack the ball. You know, it just didn't work out on the field as much as it did for me and Colin because actually when when Chelsea came to the Valley. 
to play Charlton that first year, Colin and I were playing. So I'm playing against Kerry and um, Kevin Wilson. So, I mean, I'd Kerry, and, Kerry in my right pocket and, you know, Kevin Wilson in my left pocket, you know, I always, always kid them on. Um, but we, we won three, I think we won three one at the Valley, you know, so I kind of felt justified in my move because we beat the team that, you know, that I just left, yeah. you know, and to be fair, Charlton had a really good team, you know, Charlton were no mugs. So, um, beat Chelsea, you know, Kerry was gutted, obviously, but it was, um, I say, almost kind of justified the move to Charlton, the fact that we beat them. But I was so disappointed when when Patsy left because him and I did go on really well. Not so well, obviously, when all that wrangling went on. And it was nothing to do with... To be, I can, when I look back on it, I should never I should never have took the captain and said, well, he was still there. I should have waited till he left. But he, he left literally a few weeks after it. Mm. you know, from what I can remember. But I'm gutted, you know, that it kind of, it couldn't have, the time was, wasn't really right, you know what I mean? It wasn't good for me, you know? Uh, and it kind of spoiled things in a way because Colin and I were really, really good friends, you know? Mm. But, and we've seen each other since and in fact, we still message each other. So, you know, there's no animosity. But when you're 26, 27, you know, we're now in our 60s. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you, you look back on it um, and you think, you know, I would have done loads of things differently. Loads of things, you know, too many to even go into, Keith. But, you know, if you could do it all again, you certainly would do things differently. And But no agent. I mean, I signed contracts at Charlton, you know, no agent, you know, right, we're going to give you, you know, we're going to give you £1,500 a week. We're going to, you know, we're going to give you um, loyalty bonus. We're going to give you a signing on fee. You know, and I'll be honest, I was like, these people really want, they want my services. You know, I never felt as much as Ken Bates was like, yeah, that, you know, it's great to have you and all that. Signing on fees were, were like, you know, ridiculous. I mean, pittance. And I mean that, it's a pittance. You know what I mean? Whereas when at Charlton, I was like, I actually couldn't believe what I was hearing, you know. And I don't mean like millions. I was like, you know, signing on fee of fifteen grand compared to signing on fee of three grand. So three grand a year signing on fee for four years at Chelsea, or fifteen grand a year signing on fee each each year. So sixty grand as opposed to twelve grand. Hmm. Right. Okay. You know. What, what am I going to do? Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. You know, fifteen hundred pounds a week over seven hundred fifty pounds a week. You know. Yeah, Chelsea were the bigger club. You know. And again, I had no problems with the fans apart from that one particular year. You know that one little spell where some fans got pissed off that, you know, I, I told them to fuck off, you know what I mean, because they were giving us abuse. Not just me, the whole team were getting abused mm-hmm. because we hadn't won a game and we hadn't won 22 games, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to protect the team. I score a goal and the fans give you a bit of stick and you, you know, you react. And, you know, and for some reason, some fans only remember those... That, that game, not the 277 others, you know, that one game where I said something to some crazy fans, you know what I mean? But the next year, the whole place is singing your name and, you know, you get Player of the Year awards and stuff, you know. So, look, the Chelsea fans have been, were brilliant for me. And, you know, and I still love watching the games, going there, you know, speak to Kerry all the time, you know, he's he does a kind of match day stuff and all that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've been down a few times and I would like to go down a lot more, you know, so I still regard Chelsea as my club, believe it or not, 
you know, because it's a club I played for the longest. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Played the most games for. Chelsea got a good good deal out of it. You know, say I had some wonderful times. You know, I had a few a few periods that were I would rather forget, but it happened, and there's nothing you can do. You know what I mean? But there was reasons. It, it wasn't just. There was reasons for everything that happened. That's why, you know, can I try to justify it by saying it happened because of that? You know, it's not just me throwing the toys at the tram because I'm having a bad day, you know what I mean? You know, because I'm not like that. I'm a fairly easygoing person, you know what I mean? But um, sometimes circumstances overtake it. But, you know, hand on heart, you know, I'm proud that I'm a Scottish guy who played for Chelsea and yes I captained Chelsea you know people say oh you're one of the captains Chelsea I said well actually was officially you know if you go into the museum if you go into the museum the captains have got like I don't know if it's like a gold disc or something you know all the players that played for Chelsea are on the wall but the captains have got a gold plaque on the wall and I have a gold plaque on the wall because I was a officially captain for a year and I was proud that I was a captain but if I could have changed it I'd have rather not been captain because that would have meant things were kind of status quo you know one of the other things that, that set Chelsea on a downer keep and again I might be kind of um, going off track a wee bit we went to Iraq I don't know if many Chelsea fans remember we went to Iraq to play the Iraq national team in 1986 and um, and again, this was a big part of what brought down Chelsea. You know, never mind Saddam Hussein, it brought down Chelsea. Hmm. Because Nigel Spackman didn't want to go because it was Iraq and we needed injections. Ipswich were going to play Iraq's B team. We were playing the A team who were going to the World Cup. So, um, and I remember, I remember, the reason I remember it also clearly is we drew one each. I did score a goal in Iraq in front of Saddam Hussein. Um, so, um, but the reason we went there was kind of weird. Ipswich were going there. So, I think Kevin Wilson might have been still Ipswich. I don't know. But anyway, we were all kind of in the same hotel. It was an absolute shithole, by the way. You know, Baghdad, we were talking, you know, don't ever, don't ever... You won't go there on your holidays. Well, don't go on the holiday. Don't ever go for swimming in the River Tigris, okay? Because there's some amount of shit going down that river. It was, I mean, it was incredible. Anyway, the hotel was lovely. I think it's bombed. I mean, it got bombed many, many times, obviously, after we left. Um, But so we met Saddam Hussein, which was good, you know, so we had to wait an hour. Um, meeting Saddam Hussein but the, the crux of the story is money again it all comes back to money Ipswich can't remind to don't even know if it was Terry Butcher or because Ipswich were quite a good team back then as well but John Walk somebody was talking to somebody Dave Speedy was talking to somebody I think it was John Walk and Dave Speedy and Dave Speedy's like they're getting £90 a day expenses, each player. Under the PFA rules, you get money from the, for being away and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, right, okay, you know. So I think Patsy was still captain. I think it was, 19, it was 1986. So, um, so we're getting nothing. We are getting not none. And they're getting... so. Of course, a few players, I think it was Dave Speedy, said, I'm not playing. So we're in, we're in Baghdad, Dave Speedy's not playing because Ipswich are getting 270 quid or something for the three days or the four days we're in Iraq. So Dave Speedy's not playing. He's trying to get everyone else. And, you know, we're all like, we're getting no money. We should be getting that money, you know what I mean? It was like, it was crazy. It was because we're sitting in, a, in Baghdad Playing cards, I mean, we're sitting playing cards after training, you know, just talking about 
Ipswich are playing the B team and getting paid. We're playing the A team and getting nothing. You know, blah, 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 blah. You know, so I think Patesy, being the captain, he was the, the PFA steward and all that as well. So he's on the phone to the PFA and all this. And so we're playing this game. We're waiting on Saddam Hussein to come in, you know, and the, the entourage of the military, you know, and it was kind of surreal. I mean, Big Doug Rugby, um, Big Doug, he's another legend. Um, forgot about Big Doug. The left back legends, Joey Jones, Doug Rugby, Tony DeRigo, geez, oh, we had some some left backs. Anyway, um, so Big Doug ends up fighting with a couple of the Iraqi boys who are about five foot five. I mean, they're tiny. So one of them jumps up and butts Doug in the nose, and the other one, you know, so like you know, like terriers around them. So the big man slaps a few and gets sent off and all that, and you know, and then the sanitary conditions. You know, don't ever go on holiday there. But honestly, I would really mean that. Don't ever go on holiday, you know. You know, so uh, unless you've got a good aim, I don't know if you can see that cup, but that's the size of their toilet bowls, right? That's about the size of it. And I don't mean it's a bowl. I just mean it's, sorry, it's a hole. Um, so there was loads of things that were upsetting all the guys and all that. And, you know, we're all just kind of bumping our gums, you know, moaning about everything. Why did we come here? And all? Why are we playing this game? You know, blah, blah, blah. Just, just, just guys, as guys do. They're getting paid money. We're getting nothing, you know. So anyway, it transpired that there was, so there was a big meeting with John Hollings and Ernie Wally, you know, and Ernie was, Ernie would take no shit, you know what I mean? Right. Ernie was like, can he was one of those guys, you know, you, you didn't, you know, I remember somebody threw a, a pee, we're in, we're playing West Brom, and Dave Speedy flicked a pee, and it landed in Ernie's suit on the Friday night, we're away to West Brom, and Ernie raced over, grabbed Doug Rugby, and the Doug's six foot five, he grabbed Doug Rugby and had him up against the wall, it was Dave Speedy that threw the pee, so... Ernie takes no shit, you know what I mean? And it was one of them, we kind of knew that, you know. So, it was all kind of kicking off. We're not playing the game. And that was what it was, we're not playing the game. You know, let's just play the game and get get home and all that, you know. So, we end up playing the game. But John Holland's promised to pay the money out of the payment that they were accepting from the Iraq FA or whatever it was they were getting for going to Iraq, they were getting paid. Now they were getting paid money. I'm, I'm sure it was US dollars because I think that's the currency they deal with. But anyway, they were getting paid. We were getting nothing. John Holland said, yeah, we'll get the money sorted out when we get back. Never got sorted out. Never got sorted out. So when you, when you say you're going to sort something out and you don't do it, you just go right down. You estimate, you know, your reputation goes right downhill, and it kind of did from there, you know. So, you know, again, I've not read Pat's book, but you know, the Iraq trip had a big, big impact on John Holmes and Ernie Wally and how they were perceived for me. Well, I did, and everyone else who was talking, you know, you know, you kind of. You kind of lie to people and, yeah. and expect them to trust you, you know. And then the Celtic thing, you know, Celtic have made three offers and he said, no, I've not had any phone calls. So I never trusted them, you know, and you lose trust in people. Then it's hard to, it's hard. I'm not saying it's hard to play because you're out there once you cross the line and you're playing, that's it, you know. It still didn't help with the atmosphere around at those kind of times, you know. Mm. Um, as I say, but uh, but still, it was all good stuff, you know. I mean, it was all it was all good. Just a couple of questions before we wrap this up. Um, you've mentioned a lot about your career, and I just want to sort of talk about the modern day football, if I can now, Joe. And one particular aspect that it would have been interesting, actually. You know, you've mentioned a, a, a lot of, sort of big names, sort of from the eighties. Uh, you know, big uh, characters 
how they would have got on with VAR if VAR was applied in football in the 80s. I just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on VAR and sort of how do you see it? I think most most of the guys I speak to keep, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, I think VAR has definitely spoiled it. You know, I, I honestly have no time for VAR. Yeah, there have been a couple of instances where, you know, they've got oh, they've got it right, but I just think it spoils the game. You know, for me, it spoils the game. You know, the referee's decision is the referee's decision. Now, we've got a guy in an office watching the game, so it's still his decision. So, it's still his personal decision on what happens, you know, offside and, you know, somebody's hand and all that. I mean, it's it's taken away too much. I think there's been too many goals. I don't know what the actual statistics are, but in terms of the goals that have been chopped off because of VAR and a, a minute offside decision, you know, so I think that's to the detriment of the game, mm. you know. And then you've got, you know, like um, the West Ham game uh, and the, the left-back's tackle, I can't remember the boy's name, the left-back tackles Henderson in the, the seventh or eighth minute. And to me, that's a red card straight away without even looking at it is that even just going by the way the law's been you know has been implied now he's off the ground you know the referee doesn't even need VAR to me that's a red card in today's game but it goes to VAR and he thinks there's not enough intent you know to hurt the player so he decides it's not a sending off so now there's two refs deciding it's not a sending off and you're like but it is a sending off if you if you're going by other instances. So it's not even consistent. And now they've changed the offside kind of rules again, you know. So, you know, your hand is in the offside. And, you know, I think that it's still a long, long way to go. Too much time taken between the incident, you know, and I like two 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 and a half minutes, you know, it's taken before they kind of come to a decision. It's just like it's too long. You know, uh, and again, if they're going to use VAR, let's just say, why don't they, Why, if they're going to use it, they have to use the whole thing. And the whole thing for me is, right, you, you cross the ball into the box and it nicks, it nicks off my leg and it should be a corner, but you don't get a corner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. if the referee thinks it nicked off your leg and gives a corner, and they score from that corner. And then the the linesman doesn't put his flag up. So he allows people to run on and try and score. Then he, he'll put the flag up. Or if he scores, he, he puts the flag up saying you were offside. What happens if that player, what happens if I tackle that player in, in an offside position and damage him? But he's already been offside. He's miles offside. But I go back and tackle him. Or he runs through and pulls his hamstring. You know, injuries after, the, it's an obvious offside, but they let the play continue. You know, I think um, the Everton goalkeeper, was it Van Dyke? I'm not sure who got injured, you know. Um, but the flag should have been up earlier and the injury wouldn't have occurred. You know, so if I'm a player and I get injured, by someone who's offside or by a goalkeeper coming out and creating an me when the play should have been stopped 30 yards back. So the VAR is not totally involved. Goal line technology to me was the, the revelation. You know, when a ball's behind the line, that was it. You know, let the let the referees decide, you know what I mean? Mm. You know, it's but definitely spoil spoils the game, you know, from from my perspective. I think there's there would be more goals. Obviously, there'd be more goals without VAR. Mm. But you know, some people like it. You know, I, I, not not too many that that I know that that like it. We don't even have it in Scotland. That's how that's how poor we are. We don't even have VAR. You know what I mean? So you know, so it's not even worldwide. You know, some countries have got it, some countries don't. You know, but it's the, the game's definitely changed for sure. Yeah. Now, 
people might say for the better. I don't think it's actually the better because someone actually asked me last week, and again, you know, my, my remarks were kind of, he said, how do you think you would go on? Would you be able to play now? You know, how do you think? What? So if, if I was a player now, would I be able to play? I was like, fucking sure I would be able to play. Hmm. I said, look at the pitch. It's not a bump on that pitch. I said, I said, I could still, I'm 60 and I could still play. I said, because the game's so slow, you know, there's about 40 crosses, 40 passes across the back four before the ball even moves forward. I said, of course I could play. I said, but I tell you what I think might be a difficult one. Let's say Virgil van Dijk or Harry Maguire. Do you think they could maybe play back in the 80s on the pitches we played in? I said, so I think we did all right for the conditions that we had in front of us. Stamford Bridge was the heaviest pitch in the whole division. I mean, the reason that week it was like, it was like a bog, you know, no grass on it by October. I said, you played to the conditions. You know, there was sometimes I was looking at the ball thinking, I'm actually, I'm actually going to be able to kick this because it's like, you know, it's, it's in the mud and whatever. I said, but... No, I definitely think I could play now on the nice pitches and with all the science and stuff and the technology and, you know, you know, sports science. I was quite fit anyway, but I said, I'm sure I'd have been okay. Um, I said, but I'm not too sure some of these players could play back in the pitches that we played in in the 70s and 80s. I said, but I said, what's your point? You know, hmm. you know, and I was like, what's your point? And he's like, Ah, you weren't you weren't really too good with the ball, and that you know that's what people you weren't too good with the ball. And I was like, did you actually see any games I played in? You know what I mean? Like you know, did you you know? I seen a couple on YouTube or something, you know. Um, but anyway, you know, and, and people, Pat and Evan, come up looking. Ah, you and Pat and Evan he said he was some player. Eh? Uh, Pat was he was great when you know, and I said, ah, Pat was the best dribbler of a ball I've ever seen. I said, but wasn't he the best header of a ball or tackler? He couldn't, you know, he said, I was like, he's doing a different job. Yeah. Fucking right winger. Yeah, yeah. I said, his job is to dribble and beat people. My job is to kick people and kick the ball and keep stop him from scoring. I said, you've, you're kind of getting things mixed up. You know what I mean? I said, so let's keep, you know, keep it real here. Anyway, keep. Just a couple more. Um, in regards to the current day Chelsea, they're still top of the league at the moment. You've said that you you've sort of been to a few games in the past, and you've sort of been back at Stamford Bridge, um, sort of since you left. What are your thoughts on the current day Chelsea at this moment in time? So it's, I think it's a tough one, you know, because they're, they're definitely. Not the finished article. You know, I think Kai Havertz has still got a lot to prove. For 70 million, he's still, he's still got a lot to prove. I know he's only young, but, he's, you know, he's still got a lot to prove. Um, Rudiger's leaving, you know, well, accordingly, he's leaving, you know, because um, I don't think he'll get 400 grand a week. You know, as good as he is, I don't think Chelsea are going to give him that kind of money. Um, so they might have a wee problem at the back because they, they've not really got a lot of cover. Aspilicueta, I mean, he's he's getting on a bit, you know. So, you know, they've got a few problems coming up. But as I say, I think having a, a main striker is still, having someone who's going to stick the ball in the back of the net is always the problem, isn't it? You know what I mean? Someone who's going to get those kind of 20, 25 goals is always a problem, you know, and I'm, I'm not too sure who, who's going to come up with those goals. Mm. You know, I think since Lampard's gone, you know, there's not, not really anyone who's going to get that kind of goals tally from midfield. Mm. Um, but, let's see, listen, they've got the money. I know there's, they don't allow the transfer limits and stuff, you know, but, you know, they've got the money and I'm sure, um, they'll be buying a few players soon. 
final question and again thank you very much for your time joe on on the blue day podcast today how do you look back on your time at chelsea keith i'll be honest my time at chelsea is still the best time i've had in my whole career good mostly good you know in terms of you know memories you know yeah there's always a few black clouds but you know my time at chelsea was defining for me you know you know coming coming down and living in england and my my children are born there you know so many friends from down there um you know and i kind of regret coming back up to scotland when i did but you know again when i left charlton to go to watford you know and steve perriman becomes the manager of watford and He's the guy you try to kick most when they played. When I played Tottenham, he was the one I tried to kick most on the field, and he's now the manager of Watford. And I was the captain of Watford as well when he came in, so I was the official captain. Because again, sorry to keep you. Colin Lee was the manager of Watford. Colin Lee was the right back stroke. John Hollins and Colin Lee. Colin Lee was versatile. Colin could play up front. Yeah. Anyway, what a really really good player Colin was. And we got on so well. So he took me from Charlton to Watford, which, you know, was brilliant because it was only seven miles from my house because I lived quite close to Watford. And, yeah. you know, Davey, and Davey Hay was assistant manager. Okay. So Davey Hay was at Collins' assistant at Watford. So now I was actually going to play for Davey Hay, but he was assistant at Watford. Hmm. So um went to Watford and... Um, as I say, Colin got the sack after about three or four months. He got the sack, and David Hay and Steve Perriman came in. Uh, and you know, you, you just know when somebody doesn't like you, you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong, Steve Perriman's a nice wee fella, but you know, it was just strange. Somebody that Chelsea Tottenham games were all obviously quite aggressive, um, you know, but Steve Perriman was him and I were not not best friends that's for sure um, but again I came back to Falkirk I should have I should have rode out my time and again this is when agents and stuff would have would have helped you're making those decisions as an individual you know whereas you you, you don't have anyone to speak to and say right okay what's my next move so you're doing this all off off your own kind of back. And I just thought, time to go. Falkirk had made an offer. And again, they were in the Scottish Premier League. And I thought it was time to go back. But hindsight is a great thing. You know, I, I would have done a lot of things different. Um, but Chelsea is still obviously my main club. Listen, there's... There's people who played 40 games for Chelsea and call it their main club. And I'm like, people who are legends at Chelsea have played less than 40 games. I'm like, like big, big Doug Rugby. I know Doug was a fantastic player. And again, a good friend. I always say to Kerry, Doug Rugby's on Chelsea TV is the legend. The legend of Doug Rugby. And I'm like, you played 42 games. I was like, I said, I think there was about two good ones in there. You know, I said, he's a legend. Legend. I was like, two hundred and seventy games, and you know, not even a mention. You know, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be erased from the museum soon. I think. You know, no, I still, I still get my Christmas hamper. So, Mr. I've heard Abramovich, about those. Yes, Mr. Yes, Abramovich. Thank you so much for the Christmas <laughs> hamper. Much of the Harrods Christmas hamper. Much appreciated. You know, I've heard about these. They are, they are very good. Yeah, so... Well, listen, um, Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed listening to your stories. I know the listeners from all all across the world are going to enjoy listening to these stories of how you know, when, when you first came to the club and the trial and tribulations of being in that setup in the 80s and how Chelsea were a much different club to what they are now. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't know how you're going to condense this into five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll sort something out. Don't worry. But Joe, thank you very much. And I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay.
Thanks to all the Chelsea fans who supported me over the years. Much appreciated. I love my time there. Okay. Thank you very much. Podcast Network.